Hebrews chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. We're going to... Sorry, do you know what? I, I had verse 11 in my mind, but it was chapter 11, so I read a bit further than we were supposed to. So apologies. But you get a, a preview of what we're going to learn next week as well. I'm going to pray now, and then my dad is going to come and speak on that passage for us. Father, we thank you for these people who we are reading about and their examples of faith to us. Lord, we pray that we would have faith as well. Lord, we recognise the great privilege that we have of being able to read all of these testimonies, all of these stories of what has happened in the past as people have trusted in you. And Lord, we thank you that as we read of their faith, it increases our faith. And we also recognise that if we were to neglect such a great salvation in the light of all the examples that we have before us, then we would be in a far worse situation than these people would be. Because we have the privilege of your word and the privilege of hearing it preached. Father, open our ears to, today to your gospel. And I pray that as my dad speaks, that you would speak through him to our hearts. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
we had a, a prayer meeting as we do just before this service and in that prayer meeting amongst other things we were reminded of the fact that we live in a world that we enjoy God's blessings the things that he gives us and we're only too eager and keen to do that we enjoy the sunshine as everybody else will today who's here in this area and we also reminded ourselves that there's a lot of suffering a lot of hurt in the world and we're reminded that we live in a world that mostly hears the message of Jesus but rejects that good news that there is for each and every one of us. So keep your Bibles open, Hebrews 11. But before we look at that, I just want to read to you a passage from 1 Thessalonians 4. It's Paul speaking to the church of Thessalonica. And these people were living in the early days of the church and they knew that Jesus would return and that they would go to be with him. But people started to die and they worried about those people, what will happen to them if they missed the Lord's return? And obviously they hadn't. So Paul reassures them. Now just listen to these words and then you will see the relevance to them uh, as we look at our passage in Hebrews this morning. Well, first of all, these few words from Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first after that we are still alive we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words so they're words of encouragement to the church at Thessalonica, but also to us this morning. These are words that the Apostle Paul spoke. Words of reassurance. Words that this morning can reassure us who are still living in a world that by and large rejects Jesus. So Hebrews 11. And we're going to just look this morning at verse uh, 5 and 6. It's about Enoch. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. When Enoch was taken, we read those words, he could not be found. That tells us that people knew he'd gone and people would have looked for him and wouldn't be able to find him. And I believe that they would have known that God had taken him. And also those words that he was commended as one who pleased God. They would have known that he pleased God. Enoch, do you know Enoch? Yeah, he's the one who is always trusting God. They would have known about that. And he's the one who keeps telling us that we should trust in God as well. And then he, he was gone. 
and, and they couldn't find him. And verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now for Enoch, that reward was that he was taken to be with God. That was the real reward. Now, when you come to Scripture, there's not much detail about Enoch. It is probably one of those characters that we pass over. You know, sometimes you might feel like that. I'm not really important. You know, nobody ever says much about me. And, you know, but you know, God cares and God knows. And every one of us is important to God. And Enoch was important. And what we read about Enoch really is about his genealogy. You know, his line of descendants and those who came after him. You know those bits of the Bible that you get to and you skip? You know, and some God begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so. Oh, let's go through that. Let's, let's skip that. And let's carry on with, with the rest of what's in the Bible. No, no, they're there for a purpose. They're there for a reason. And it is important. So, I'm going to take you to Genesis 5. I'm going to read just a few verses, 18 through to 24. And this is what we read. And I'll just apologise for the mispronunciation of these words. But bear with me. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. Uh, Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters altogether. Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. Now, there's an important point. I said genealogies are important, they're there for a reason. You go to 1 Chronicles and you read confirmation of that in Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And in that passage, that tells us that Enoch was born the seventh after Adam. Okay? Hang on to that, keep that in mind. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Machalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Lamech, Noah, remember that, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, why do I say to you that these passages of the genealogies of Enoch are important? This is why. Because they tell us about the time that Enoch lived. That special time in history when Enoch lived. All those long ages, long liberty, there's a reason for that. And maybe sometime we can do that in a Bible study and we can look at it. But for the moment, we're looking at the subject of faith. And we're looking at Enoch's faith. We're looking at the importance of Enoch and the importance of Enoch's faith. So it's back to Hebrews 11, where the subject is faith. That's what this chapter is, the well-known great chapter of faith. 
And in Genesis, we've read that Enoch walked faithfully with God. What does that mean? Well, it means that he had a desire to please God. He sought after God. He worshipped God. In other words, he had fellowship with God. And the bond that kept the strength of that fellowship was his faith. His faith that he had in God. Now, if anybody was asleep then, they all woke up. <laughs> and it wasn't my words that woke you up. But you're all listening. Enoch's, what did he do? He faithfully walked with God. But he singled out among all the people of his generation. Why is Enoch singled out from all those people around him? And he's singled out by name. And he's singled out by what? Well, the first readers of this letter would have known that Enoch lived during evil times. They would have known that. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish people who had become Christians. And they knew their history. They knew about the days that Enoch lived and they knew that they were evil times because most people were abandoning their faith, moving further away from God to the point where Scripture will tell us that during the lifetime of Enoch, the actions of most people were offending God and the result being that God would rail his anger against them and against this situation. This evil time, you know, evil times, they grow, don't they? You know, it, it's a step-by-step step start to move away from God and God's ways. Still use his name and still say, well, it's okay to do this because God doesn't mind. And then we go a little bit further away and then God's word falls away completely and it's all, we'll do it this way because this is how we want to do it. And things go from bad to worse. We can see that happening here in our own country today. And the Lord sees this. And evil times that were there in the days of Enoch were steadily worsening until they came to the days of Noah. And Noah wasn't that far down the line from Enoch. Adam the seventh from Adam, Enoch, and a little bit further down, Noah. To the point where in Genesis 5, this is what God said about those days. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You see where that had got to by the time of the days of Noah. They are powerful words. Every indication of the thoughts of the human heart. There was no room left for God. No room left for his ways and his word. It was only evil all the time. And Enoch 
during those times was commended as one who pleased God. Commended to who? The people of his day. It's here for us. But it's not just for us. It's just important as, as being important to us. It was important to the people in the days of Enoch. They knew he was the one who walked with God because God commended him and they saw that and they saw it in his life. They saw how he lived. They listened to what he said. They watched how he walked and he walked a faithful walk with God. And you know what? I bet he was ridiculed. I bet he was criticised for it. I bet people said, oh, there's that. that there's that Bible basher. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's one of them. You don't want to be like him. But God commended him. Commended him for what? Because he was a good man. Because he, you know, he, he did a lot. And no, 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 no. Commended him because of his faith. The trust that he had in God in those difficult, evil times. He stood, he stood strong. There must have been times when he you maybe thought, oh, why is all this happening to me? This world is getting worse. It wasn't like that when I was a kid. I say that now. How many of you say that? I do. Yeah. We didn't have to lock the door. If my mum left the washing on the line and we went in and it rained, a neighbour would come in the house, go into the back garden, take the washing off the line, fold it up, sometimes iron it. And maybe put it back in our house. Yeah. How good is that? Enoch is faith in bad times. And then the verse I keep saying as I'm going through this passage is my favourite verse in the passage and also I think the central verse of the passage, verse 6. And without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe. How can you, how, how can you please somebody that you don't believe is there or you don't believe in? You must believe that he exists. But that's not enough. It goes on. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What was the reward that Enoch got? God took him. What was the reward that Abel got, he got murdered, he was a martyr, but he went to be with the Lord. That's the reward, not the big car or the big house. Nice to have them, yeah, but it's by faith that you please God. So what was the result of Enoch's faith? Hebrews 5 verse 11. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Are you surprised at that? Are you surprised when you, you, you read those words? That God took Enoch and Enoch didn't experience death. You know, we shouldn't be surprised. How can we be surprised at the God of creation? Who has the power to do that? Who has the will to do that? Who had the desire to do that? And who did it? So why should we be surprised? But you know, 
we do have the right to maybe ask the question, why Enoch? Well, because of his faith. But why take him? There's the question. The first thing we must get a hold of when we think about this, when we try to understand why God took him, we must know that Enoch was not just any man. He was a righteous man, not just in the eyes of his generation, but in the eyes of God, because God made him righteous because of the faith that Enoch had in God. Enoch was a man who walked faithfully with God, not just because he was hoping to earn a favour from God, but because he, he, he recognised who God was. He recognised that God was his God. He recognised the power that God had. And this was in a time when most people were rebelling against God. So, Enoch, get this, was an example to the people of his day. An example of what? An example of how to live as one who trusted in God. He was also a witness to them of God's love, God's provision, God's power, and God's promise that he would be rewarded. What reward? The reward would be that God would take him. And it was also a warning to them of God's coming judgment. Do you realise that witness is still relevant today? A witness to God's saving grace, God's saving power, God's judgment, and the truth that one day if you trust in Jesus, then he will take you to be with him in glory. What a powerful example of God's salvation to them people in the days of Enoch and those who followed, who were going towards the days of Noah, when God's judgment would be administered. a great example of God's salvation and what a wonderful experience for Enoch to be taken into heaven for eternity before he even died you know that passage we read at the beginning Thessalonians people were concerned about you know what will happen when the Lord comes you know if those who die, well, they still trusted, and by faith they will be with the Lord in glory. And Enoch is an example of that. But let's move on. Stay in the New Testament now. We've been in Genesis. You can't separate the Old and the New Testament. They're interlocked like that. So we've been in Genesis, we're in Hebrews, 
and I want us to go into the book of Jude. Jude is a very small book. Um, it only has uh, one chapter. It's just the one chapter in the book of Jude. And Jude in verse 1 says this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. In that introduction, we have the writer and the recipients. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, to those who love God the Father and are kept for Jesus the Christ. Jude goes on to warn the church that he's writing to about people who will come among them, corrupt the gospel with the aim of weakening their faith in Jesus. He then reminds them from their history about others who brought false teaching to God's faithful people. And those false teachers, he warns that they put themselves under God's hand of judgment. Jude verse 11 and 12. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. We've heard about Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. We can read in our Bibles about Balaam. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. We can read about Korah's rebellion in our Bibles. And Jude says, the shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain. They, 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 they were false teachers, but they were shepherds who were leading people away from God. And what they had to offer was just meaningless. As meaningless as a cloud without rain. In verse 14 to 16, and this is the bit, Jude presents Enoch as being an example to the people in his day and an example to the people in our day. Enoch, this is what Jude says, the seven from Adam prophesied about them. That's these false teachers. These people who are moving away from God and their desire is to take others with them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and for all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And then, in verse 17 through to 23, Jude brings us encouragement. Remember the passage we read at the beginning, encouragement for those in the church of Thessalonica who were worried about, you know, what will happen when the Lord comes. <laughs> and here, this is what he says. But dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. We see that in our day. 
People who are just out for themselves, they know what they want, and they criticise you because you think, well, that's not what the Lord wants. But they try to bring you in. Even those who claim to be religious leaders will say, well, it's all right, the Bible's an old book, it's out of date. It isn't. It's always in date. It's God's word. So what does Jude say? He says, but dear friends, and this is the bit I want you to get a hold of, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Get that? It's not just a blind faith. It's not a, a maybe faith. It's a holy faith. It's a certain faith because it's a faith in God. The true God. The merciful God. And the God who will one day be judged. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Enoch. Yeah. That's Enoch, isn't it? That's what he was waiting for. But he was so faithful. And his faith was so strong. And he was really almost a lone soul crying out and God took him be merciful this is how we are to be those who trust in Christ as we live the gospel be merciful to those who doubt save others by snatching them from the fire we don't do the saving we're just the signposts to the saviour I can't save any one of you but I can tell you that Jesus can. And by telling you that, then you can be snatched from the burning fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. That's those who are very offensive and who, who hate us. Show mercy. Okay, what, what do you need to fear? You need to fear that you will not be drawn into the way they're thinking and drawn away from God. Be merciful to them, but identify the fear of being drawn in. It's okay. Everybody else does it. Show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That's hating the evil way of life. Show mercy. But don't be drawn in. Reminded of that verse from Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's the message. And you know, Jude finishes. Jude finishes with some very famous words that will be spoken in many churches today. And people will say them and probably don't realise that they're from the book of Jude. And will probably just say them out of some kind of habit. It's known as a doxology. And people think, oh, the doxology is the little bit that's tacked on at the end. The the word doxology, do you know what it means? It means worship. When we sing the hymns, that's a doxology, worshiping God. 
Well, I mean, praise God. That's a doxology. We're worshiping God. So it's not just a little bit that tags on at the end of a sermon. Jude tags it on on the end of his little little book of one chapter. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to say the doxology. And what it is, it's words of worship that we bring to God. It's not just like, oh, you know, what's the phrase they use when the fat lady sings, that's the end here. It's, this, is, this is important. Okay, and these words are important. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And we can all say, Amen to that. I'm going to ask Matthew to come and introduce the final hymn. Uh, and then to, and if you have any questions, and you're not sure, come and ask me. And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. Okay. God, we want to be nearer to you. We recognise that we do not deserve to come into your presence. We recognise that in our own right and in our own standing we deserve your condemnation rather than your mercy and your friendship. And yet we thank you that our confidence is not in ourselves but in you. And so again we say without superstition we pray to you who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before the Father in glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, we ask to you, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>